topic. Mark chapter 11 in your Bibles this morning. Mark 11, once you have found that, if you are so able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter number 11, and we're going to begin in verse number 22 and read down through verse number 24. And the sermon this morning will be more topical in nature. Instead of being just in Mark 11, we're going to be looking throughout the Bible. So keep your Bibles available, keep them ready, and um, I ask you to use them this morning. Let's begin together reading aloud in 22, and then I'll read 23 by myself, and then we'll conclude by reading 24 together. All right, here we go. Verse 22 together. Here we go. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that... Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Well, we're, our theme this year, as you see on the screen, is a heart for God. We want to develop a heart that is in love with God, just like King David did. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. We want to be men and women who have a heart for God, and uh, are, we're bouncing back and forth between two thoughts all year long, walking with God, working for God, and uh, we're going to begin a new series of sermons this week under the idea of walking with God, and the title of the series is this, My Prayer Life, My Prayer Life. Um, how is your prayer life? How is our prayer lives? And uh, the title of the sermon this morning is this, The Necessities of Prayer. The Necessities of Prayer. We're, gonna, we're going to dive in deep on this topic of prayer over the next three weeks and, and see where the Lord takes us and see what the Lord reveals to us. Let's open with the word of prayer, the message this morning. God, help us, show us, Lord, op- uh, illuminate our eyes on this topic of prayer It's talked about so much and understood and practiced by so few, at least on a level uh, that is deep and one that would uh, really matter. And so, Lord, um, help us to understand the truths, and then, Lord, help us to leave here committed to make changes that are real. And, Lord, that will really affect and change us. Thank you for everyone in attendance this morning, and God bless them. Help them through their problems and their trials they're facing. Lord, this week only you know what awaits each of us. And Lord, help us to be leaning on you and relying on you to carry us through whatever it is. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're bouncing back and forth between the topics of walking with God and working for God. Please hear me out this morning. You cannot have a heart for God if you don't spend time with God. You cannot have a heart for God if you're not doing the work of the Lord. And I've used many illustrations to lay that out for sake of time this morning. I'll forego that, but I think we all get the idea. We have to walk with God and we must work for God if we're going to be people that claim to have a heart for God. Back in January, we started out by understanding what it means to really walk with God. We opened God's Word and saw how that David was a man who was passionate about God. And the, the series of sermons we looked at as we talked about walking with God, the title of that, uh, that series was My Passions. And what are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? Are we passionate about the things of God? Now, um, when you go with a walk, go on a walk with someone, what do you do? You enjoy their company. Um, uh, my mom loves to take walks. And anytime I go up to visit my mom, my mom and dad live up in Bristol. And anytime I go up to visit my mom, my mom likes to take the dog on a walk and likes to take us with her. We go to the park and walk around the park and uh, we, we go for walks together. And listen, if you go on a walk with someone and words are not shared back and forth, then it gets real awkward real fast. You go on a walk with someone, you do some talking and you do some listening. They do some talking and they do some listening. There is a give and take. Notice here that when you go on a walk with someone, for that to function, there must be strong communication that is established. There must be chemistry between the two of you 
that is thoroughly enjoyed. And I love going on long car rides. I went up to Vermont Friday, I took my daughter April with me, and we had some daddy-daughter time, and I was invited to preach at a youth um, meeting, youth retreat up in Vermont, and uh, drove two and a half hours to southern Vermont and enjoyed a good time. And you know what? My daughter is a chatterbox. She can talk and talk and talk, and um, you may not know that about her, but once you really get to know her, you just can't get her to be quiet. And she can talk and talk and talk, and we talked about everything. We talked about the most random things. But you know, even with my daughter who loves to talk, there were little windows of time where it was quiet in the car. Quiet in the car. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay for there to be a coexisting uh, uh, along with someone where no words are spoken and closeness to still be felt, but that is built on the heels of strong communication. That is built on the heels of two people who genuinely care for each other and enjoy each other's Company, uh, listen, it may not be that every time you're with the Lord in the presence of the Lord, you have something to say or he has something to say to you. There may be windows of time where uh, he's not speaking to you and you're not speaking to him. You're just enjoying each other's company, but that needs to be the exception to the rule, not the rule. In fact, uh, as Christians, we need to learn how to listen to God by opening the Bible and reading it and letting the word of God speak to our hearts But then we need to learn how to open our mouths and speak to the Lord and share with Him our heart. Uh, Prayer is the one Christian duty most neglected. It is the one, you listening this morning? Listen up here. It's the one Christian duty most neglected. It is the topic that is preached about the most and practiced the least. There was an anonymous survey done some time back. An anonymous survey done of those who call themselves church-attending Christians. And in this uh, survey, anonymous survey, uh, it was admitted that the average person taking the survey prayed three to five minutes a day, including mealtimes. Three to five minutes a day, including mealtimes. Some, if not most uh, most Christians, experience long droughts of prayerlessness that can go on weeks, months, and in extreme cases, even years. I mean, outside of praying for food, we just don't pray. Why don't more Christians pray? Why don't Christians pray more fervently than they do? Well, I have a theory about that that sets up the sermon this morning. Listen, hear me out now. If I were to take you to a job site, and let's say that you were going, you were asked to um, build a building or renovate a room. Let's say we were going to have you paint a bedroom. I think most of us in here have done some painting. That doesn't make, make us all qualified to do so, but painting is the one thing you can, everyone does with little to no skill to do it. And when a real painter walks in, they know right away whether or not it's been painted professionally or uh, by an amateur. But let's say I take you in a room and you're going to paint it, all right? And uh, you, go, you show up to the job and, and you look and you don't have any drop cloths. And you think, well, I'll be careful. I won't spill any carpet on the paint, right? Or I'm going to rip up the carpet afterwards, so what's it really matter? The carpet can be my drop cloth, and so you don't have any drop cloths, that's okay. And then you reach in your bag, and you don't have any painter's tape. Oh, man, you got you know, you that accent wall you want to get up, and, and you don't want it to bleed over. And you think, well, I've got a steady hand, I'll be careful. And then you reach in your, 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 your bag, and, and there are no paint brushes. And, and, and so now you can't paint with paint brushes. You think, well, maybe I've got a roller, and you reach in, there's no roller. And then lastly, you reach in, and you don't have any paint. Well, you know what? You can't paint if you don't have the necessary tools. You with me? Let's say that you're going to sit down and write a letter. And I say, okay, you know what? You got some gifts at Christmas and uh, you want to give uh, thank you notes in return. That's always a kind thing to do. Give someone a thank you note after they've done something nice for you and you don't have a paper and you don't have a pen or pencil. It's really hard to write a thank you note. You think, well, I'll just text it. Well, give me your cell phone. You can't use that either, all right? Uh, No paper or pencil, you can't write a note. And uh, it's, uh, you say, well, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow, but you don't own a Bible. It's kind of hard to read your Bible when you don't own a Bible. Um, you say, well, I, I'm going to go to war and I'm going to fight a battle, 
but you don't have any weapons, well, how successful will you be? I believe that in order to pray, you must have the proper tools. And I believe most Christians don't even understand what those tools are. You see, if you're like me, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, if you're like me at a younger stage in my Christian life, I'd hear sermons on prayer, and and, and I would understand the importance of prayer, and I'd get down on my knees to pray, and I'd pray for everything I could think of, and I'd think, man, I've prayed for at least 30 minutes, and I'd look at the clock, and I've prayed 8 minutes. I thought, well, I don't even know what else to say. I don't even know what else to do. And then I'd I'd say, well, I'm going to pray every day for a week, and I'd get 3, 4 days in, then I'd miss. And then I'd get two weeks in, and, and, and that habit had dropped off, and all of a sudden, I'm not praying anymore. Can anybody relate with me this morning? Am I the only one who's gone through this? You all know what it's like to try and pray and just not be successful at it. You see, you're going about it the wrong way. You want to pray, but you don't have the right tools in the toolbox in order to pray. Hence the title of the sermon this morning, The Necessities of Prayer. We want to be like prayer warriors that we know and we've heard of. But when it comes down to it, we fail because we don't have the necessary tools to succeed at a prayer life. Let's take a look at the essential tools needed to be a person who walks with God and effectively communicates through prayer to our God. The disciples requested of Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. This morning I hope to show you from Scripture just a handful of truths and by no means will this sermon be a complete list of all the tools that ought to be in your prayer toolbox, but I hope to show you some of the most vital tools that you need there in order to be successful in having a prayer life, in order to equip you to go forth and pray to the God who loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. So let's jump in this morning and I'm going to give you just a handful of tools to put in your prayer uh, tool bag to help you be more effective in your prayer life. Now, in full disclosure, I'm in the middle of reading some books on prayer. And this book right here I brought with me is entitled The Necessity of Prayer by Ian Bounds. One of the most powerful books I've read on the topic. And I'd encourage you to, to pick this up and buy it. You can probably look online and find it. Not all of the material, but some of the material we'll cover this morning came out of this book. Let's jump in this morning and look at just a handful of uh, tools that go in the tool bag. All right, if you have a bulletin, you received one on the way in, on the back of your bulletin there's a place to fill in the blanks. I encourage you to get your pen out, and the, uh, the, the you'll have help there on the screen. Let's fill in these blanks, and this will help you to be able to review after the message this morning. Number one, number one, notice faith and trust. Faith and and trust. The words faith and trust are oftentimes used interchangeably, but let's look at them individually for just a few moments. First of all, notice the tool, first tool in the tool bag of prayer is faith in God. Faith in God. Look at back with me at Mark chapter 11 where we began and look at verse number 22. Mark 11 verse 22. The Bible says, and Jesus answering saith unto them, let's read those next four words together. Ready? Have faith in God. Together again, ready? Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now what a statement. Jesus says here, you see that mountain over there? If you have enough faith in your heart when you pray, and you ask by faith to have that mountain removed and cast in the sea, uh, you can pray that mountain into the sea. And you say, well, Jesus is just being um, uh, uh, hyperbolic here. He, he's using some exaggeratory term. And I would say no. If there was a good spiritual reason why that mountain needed to be moved in the sea and you had enough faith to pray by faith, and, uh, uh, pray by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in heaven, is capable of taking that mountain and casting it in the sea through the power of your prayer. Now let me ask you a question this morning. If you knew that I had $100 to my name, uh, and, and uh, rather, if you, let me, let me back up. All right, I got, got the uh, illustration wrong. Let me start over again here. If you knew that I did not have $100, you knew I just didn't have any money. You know, I didn't have, a, you know, I didn't have $100 and you needed $100. Would you come ask me for $100? No, it'd be dumb to ask me for $100 if you knew I didn't have $100 to give you. Right? You come up and say, can you give me $100? I'll look back at you and say, I don't have $100. Can you give me a hundred dollars? 
you'd say, well, I don't have $100 either. Well, all right, I guess we're stuck here. You wouldn't ask someone for $100 if you knew they didn't have $100. Let me ask you to tell you this way. If you knew I had $100 and you knew there was no way I was going to be persuaded to give you that money, I mean, you were certain of it. There's no way he's going to part with that money. Would you ask me for the money if you knew there was no way I would give it to you? Some of you would. <laughs> a rational person would not ask for money that they were certain wouldn't, they would not receive. Um, if you desperately needed $100 and you had faith that I would give you the $100 if you really needed it, then maybe under those circumstances, if you could so humble your heart to do so, you would ask. But you would have to have faith that, one, I had it, and two, I would be willing to give it. Many times we don't ask God for things in prayer because we really don't believe that either he can or that he will give us what we would ask. We really don't have faith. We really don't believe. Let me just say it to you this way. We're really good at humanizing God. We humanize God. We rationalize that, well, since I can't do it, and I don't know anybody that can do it, then it would be a waste of time to pray about it. I just want to remind you, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God has everything. There's nothing that God can't do. There's nothing that God uh, doesn't own. He owns it all. And listen, my friend, when you reach a spot of what you would label as impossible, that is a great time to start praying. Because where uh, with man, all things are not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Oftentimes we don't pray because we really don't have faith in God. And if you don't have faith in your tool bag, it's like reaching in a it's like reaching in a tool bag for a paintbrush, not finding one. You can't paint without a paintbrush. You can't pray without faith. And oftentimes we don't pray because we don't have the necessities of faith in that tool bag. What is it in your life this morning that you need God to do? Have you prayed about it? Have you stopped to consider that even your own works uh, could be done with so much more power and might if you had faith in God to do it through you. Turn to John 14 this morning. John 14 in verse number 12. Uh, oftentimes we hit a point where we can't do and we need to call on God to do it. And then other times we can do, but we can't do it very well because we're not doing it through prayer. We're not doing it by faith through prayer. Yes, uh, you know how to do the mundane things of life, but did you ever stop to think that maybe you would do them so much better and uh, do them so much more enjoyable if you prayed and if you walked by faith in how you did it? Look at John 14 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Look here. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now that's a pretty uh, absolute statement. I will do it. Notice he said that you see, Jesus said, you see what I'm doing, but if you'll allow me to work through you, you'll do greater things than even the things that I'm doing. You'll be capable of doing even greater things. There's a story about a little girl in a hotel lobby who was banging on a piano. And as children do, she was sitting there with no skill and, and she's just in her imagination playing a masterpiece and banging and playing and hitting and running her hands all over the keys and really she's just making a bunch of noise and this went on for some time and this was a high-end hotel and uh, the guests in the lobby were dignified and they were turned off by this little girl's playing and the, 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 the staff of the hotel just seemed to ignore her and not say anything to her. In their minds, this little brat's being allowed to do what she wants. Where are her parents and, and where is the hotel staff? To bring this to a stop there, uh, this is a nuisance. And so some of the guests walked to the front desk and, and inquired for the manager. And the manager came and said, please get this little girl to stop playing the piano. And they, uh, the, 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 the manager looked over his glasses at those who uh, were complaining and said, I can't do that. said, this little girl's father is one of our top clients every year. 
he's away on a business trip. The little girl's 12, 13 years old, away on a business trip, and I, I just can't ask her to stop. I don't, I'm not, you know, listen, he's going to be back in a couple of days. When he gets back, you're, at, you're welcome to talk to him about it, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So a couple of days later, the dad returned from his business trip, and he found his daughter in the piano banging, found his daughter in the lobby, rather, on the piano banging and, and, and making noise. And he went over to her, and he put his hands over her hands. Come to find out, Dad was a virtuoso on the piano. And with his hands on her hands, it went from noise to a beautiful piece of music. A beautiful piece of music. His hands over her hands was able to guide and play. And all of a sudden, it went from being noisome and a nuisance to being a beautiful thing that soothed the ears of those in the lobby. You see, you can go through life banging your piano. Or you can say to the Lord, Lord, help me to do the mundane things of life through your power. And he comes along and puts his hands over ours once we've prayed on it. And all of a sudden, he takes the noise of our life and he makes it make sense. He makes it into a harmony. He makes it into something that's enjoyable for those around us. E.M. Bounds, in this book I referenced a moment ago, said, Faith deals with God and is conscious of God. It deals with the Lord Jesus Christ and sees in Him a Savior. It deals with God's Word and lays hold of the truth. It deals with the Spirit of God and is energized and inspired by its holy fire. God is the great objective of faith. For faith uh, rests its whole weight on His Word. Faith is not an aimless act of the soul, but a looking to God and a resting upon His promises. Just as love and hope have always an objective, so also has faith. Faith is not believing in just anything. It is believing God it is resting in God. It is trusting in God's Word. You see, without faith, it is impossible to establish a prayer life. You cannot pray deep, sincere prayers on a regular basis without a heart that truly believes in God. But we said faith and trust. What about trust? How does trust play into this? Listen to this. The background of prayer is trust. The whole issuance of Christ's ministry and work was dependent on implicit trust in His Father. When trust is perfect and without doubt, prayer is simply the outstretched hand ready to receive. Listen to this quote. Trust perfected is prayer perfected. Trust perfected is is prayer perfected. You have a promise in God's Word. And God says that if you pray according to this, I will give it to you. Uh, uh, faith, uh, 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 faith enables us to bow the head and pray the prayer. Trust extends the hand and says, I'm going to keep my hand right here until you put in my hand what I am asking for. And I will continue to ask until you put it there. Because I don't just have enough faith to ask you. I have enough trust that you will deliver. That you will come through. And I'm going to continue to extend the hand of trust, expecting the promises that you've made, expecting that you'll keep those promises. Full trust in God says, since you guarantee it, I believe it. Prayer is the act of sticking out your hand until God delivers on His promise to you. You know, oftentimes we wander through life wringing our hands and worried and wondering about this scenario and this situation and my future at work and my future with the economy and my future with my housing and my future with my relationships and my future with my health and these things can keep us up at night and and cause us great stress and cause us great emotional struggle. But Isaiah 26 verse 3 words it this way, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Listen here. Because he trusteth in thee. I get on my knees when I have a problem at work. I get on my knees when I have a problem with my family. I get on my knees whatever the problem. And when I'm in emotional distress, I'm in emotional unrest, I get on my knees and I pray and I put my mind and heart on God. And I say, Lord, I'm calling on You for Your promises. My hand is out that You're going to take care of me. And I'm not going to put my hand down until You fulfill that commitment. And you get off your knees and all of a sudden that emotional struggle is gone. Because you have faith in God to pray and you have trust in God that He'll deliver. 
Philippians 4, 6, Paul worded it this way to the church of Philippi, be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. You see, when we are tempted to struggle with anxiety, we get on our knees in prayer and supplication. By faith we pray and by trust we receive. Why would I worry when God is in control? Why would I not be at peace in my soul when God has promised to take care of me? Everybody listen to me this morning. Everybody listen. Everybody listen. If you are a child of God, you put your faith in Jesus to save you, God is in control of your life. Did you know that God will not allow a single trial to come into your life that he does not first sign off on and permit? Not a single one. You say, I got a flat tire on the side of 15. Did you know that God signed off on you getting that flat tire before you got it? Did you know that that person who you love, who's struggling and, and, and hurting and, and, and that, that great hurt that's down in your heart, God looked down and said, I'm going to allow it because I have a purpose and I have a way I'm going to grow them. And it may, may very well be that God brings trials in our life because He's trying to drive us past our pride onto our knees and get us by faith to pray and entrust to receive from Him. You see, you you won't pray if you don't really believe in God. And I believe that many Christians have enough faith to believe that God will save them, but don't have enough faith in God to continue to ask Him for the supernatural things of life, much less the mundane things of life. The first necessities of prayer we look at this morning are faith and trust. Let's go on to the next set of tools in the tool bag. Notice number two, desire and fervency, desire and fervency. Go back with me to uh, math, uh, rather Mark chapter 11 and look with me at verse 24. Back in our opening text, Jesus gives us yet another necessity of prayer. Look at verse 24 of Mark 11. The Bible says, therefore, I say unto you, read this next phrase with me. Ready? Here we go. What things soever ye desire. Again, ready? What things soever ye desire. Notice the word desire. When ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Ian Bounds said, if prayer is asking God for something, then prayer must be expressed. Prayer comes out into the open, but desire is silent. Prayer is heard, desire is unheard. The deeper the desire, the stronger the prayer. Without desire, prayer is a meaningless mumble of words. Meaningless mumble of words. How much do you desire the perfect will of God in your life? How much do you desire righteousness? How bad do you want it down in your soul? 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Have you ever heard a newborn cry for milk? You ever heard a newborn cry because he's hungry or she's hungry? And if you go and ignore that, the cry gets louder and louder until you finally get your lazy self out of bed in the middle of the night and go feed that screaming urchin. Amen? So you go feed that child. Uh, listen, the, you hear me now? Listen, the greater the desire, the louder the cry. You with me? The greater the inward desire for milk, the louder that child screams. The greater desire you have to have a relationship with God, the more intense and real and strong is your prayer life. We don't pray because we don't really want to have a strong relationship with God. The desire oftentimes is lacking. How about you? What is your desire? We all desire something. Some of you right now, let's see, it's 11.15. Some of you eat an early lunch every day. Some of you eat right at 12. Right? One of the good things about moving church back 15 minutes is that uh, we've been letting out consistently around 12, right at 12, and you don't have to sit in the pew and have your stomach grumble during the message. But some of you just eat all the time, right? And uh, you're hungry right now, right? You're desiring food. There's an inward craving for food, and you know what? If you don't get it at some point, there's going to be an outward calling for that food. You know, something else we all desire is love. 
Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm my own man. I'm self-sufficient. No, 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 no. We're all relational and we all need love. We all do. We all do. And if we're not getting love, we'll start calling out for it. It will become evident to those closest to us that we need them to love us. We all need attention. And listen, these inward desires lead to an outward expression. Are you with me this morning? Are you hanging with me this morning? Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? We don't pray because the desire inside of us is not where it ought to be. And if you're not hungry for God, you're not hungry to have a relationship with God, then there is no reason to pray. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, Jesus taught, He said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is the epitome of righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you hungry for God? Is there a flame that is burning deep within you? Do you crave to know God more through prayer? Why don't we pray? Maybe it's because we don't have faith. Maybe it's because we don't truly trust God. Or maybe it's because we just don't have the desire to pray. Take your Bibles quickly to Revelation 3 and look at verse 15. Now, these verses are familiar to those who attend church regularly, but uh, as I put this message together, this passage here took on a whole other meaning to me, and a passage I even have memorized and have have seen and read and heard preached on dozens of times, but in my study of this sermon on prayer, boy, these, these verses leaped off the pages like they never had before. Look at Revelation 3, and in that context of lack of desire of prayer, look at verse 15. The Bible says, speaking of the church of Laodicea, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Look at verse 17 and think about this lack of desire and prayer. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what? You don't ask for something. You don't have a desire to ask for something if you have need of nothing. We don't pray. Those that don't pray, the reason why there is a lack of prayer is because we look up in heaven and go, I'm good. I'm all set. I find different regions of the countries have different ways of saying they don't want what you're selling. When I was a little boy, I sold candy bars uh, for my uh, school as a fundraiser, sort of like Boy Scout, Girl Scouts with the, with the cookies or whatever the Boy Scouts sell. But I sold candy bars for my Christian school. And um, I, I lived in Mississippi for many years and sitting outside of the Super Walmart and, and selling these candy bars. And people come out and say, uh, not today. No, thank you. Not today. No, thank you. I get up here to New England and everyone's go-to phrase is, I'm all set. I'm all set. All right? People say that all the time, and now I've fallen into that. I'm all set. I guess in some ways I'm becoming a New Englander. I don't know that I ever will totally be one. I wasn't born here, but I'm all set. I'm all set. And look, we look up to God in heaven, and we look at the nice car we drive, and we look at the comfortable home that we live in, the comfortable bed we sleep in, the, the income that's coming into our bank account. And, and, and yeah, we've got our, our share of bumps and problems along the way, but all in all, life is pretty good, and so we have need of nothing, then we lose our desire to pray, and the next thing you know, our prayer life is all dried up. Our prayer life is all dried up. I don't ever want to get to the place where I've lied to myself into believing that my life is so good that I don't need prayer. Oh, I need prayer. You need prayer. We can't live without God. Uh, John 15, verse 6, Jesus said, Without me ye can do nothing. Nothing. You see, the absence of this holy desire in the heart, listen to this, is presumptive proof either of a decline in spiritual ecstasy or that the new birth, salvation, has never taken place. If you don't ever desire to pray, listen, it might be that you never got saved to begin with. I'm not saying that you're lost, but I'm saying that might mean that. If you don't ever want to pray, it could be proof you never got saved. You see, because if you're a child of God, at some point you're going to want to speak to Him. You're going to want to commune with Him. And if you shrug your shoulders and say, "Ah, well, the other possibility is that you have so much sin in your life, you don't want to see God because it's just a reminder of how sinful you are. 
That word righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I've defined it this way. It means right standing with God. And I know when my kids have done something wrong when I get home from work because they avoid me. Right? I know when my wife is upset with the children because they're on the other side of the house. Staying away from her and she's staying away from them. Oftentimes when we are not on good terms with God, we avoid Him. Because we've got sin in our life. So if you're not, you don't have a desire to pray, you've got a couple of possibilities here. One is the potential that you've never got saved. You never are You never did put your faith in Christ. The second possibility is that you have so much sin in your life, you don't want to even stand in His presence and see Him because you know that He isn't happy with the way you're living. Holy desire is much helped by devout contemplation. Meditation on our spiritual need and on God's readiness and ability to correct it. A desire to grow. Serious thought engaged in before praying increases desire, makes it more insistent, and tends to save us for the, uh, the, the menace of private prayer. Uh, uh, wandering, uh, 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 wandering thought, we fail much more in desire than in its outward expression. We fail much more in desire than in its outward expression. Again, if a child is not hungry, the child will not cry out for milk. And if you have no real desire to talk to God, you will not call out on Him like you ought to. So the question this morning is how do you jumpstart desire? How do we get to a place where we uh, crave God and we want to talk to God? How do we get that fire kindling within our hearts? We must deal with the fallow ground of our hearts, the, the, the hardened stone of our hearts. We must come to God and we must ask Him for desire. Our heart must, uh, our heart's need must be worked over, not only to get the evil out of our heart, but for God to put the good in it. You see, uh, uh, true prayer must be a flame. Desire must be made intensely personal, must be centered on God with an insatiable hungering and thirsting after Him and His righteousness. Here's a good here's a good thing for you to do this morning. If you don't get anything else I say from the message this morning, hang your hat on this thought. Listen closely. Listen closely this morning. Here it is. If you don't have a desire to pray, then ask God to give you a desire to pray. A good, healthy prayer for you is this right here. Lord, I don't have a prayer life, but I want a prayer life. Put in my heart a desire to want to talk to you more. And any time you start to feel guilty about a lack of a prayer life, drop your head and simply say, Lord, begin a flame in my heart to want to talk to you more. Show me how I can uh, want to talk to you more. It bothers me that it doesn't bother me. I care that I don't care. Uh, I'm, I'm not aloof that I am aloof. And Lord, help me to have a desire to want to talk to you more. What about fervency? We said uh, faith and uh, faith and trust, desire and fervency, and these two words also are akin and synonyms of each other. Fervency is that point in which the fire of our soul reaches a point where it is red hot. Uh, when you have so fallen in love with God through prayer, all you must do is keep the flames hot by continuing to feed it more fuel. Our fervency in prayer is reached uh, every matter is, is naturally prayed over. Prayer is not Force when it uh, is not forced, it is not. It, it, rather, it is a force of habit. Uh, uh, once uh, uh, one prays constantly and consistently, this is where you get to the point where you don't have to get the fire going. The the prayer desire is ablaze and and and, and grown so large in your heart that you can't help but pray for everything and, and and everything is brought before God in prayer. And you drop your head and you pray before you eat. Yes, but you you drop your head before any decision is made. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, Lord, I know that the bread is in the cabinet. I know that it's in the bread shelf. Lord, I know that I have milk in the fridge, and I know I've got 
hot water in the hot water tank. But Lord, when I turn that water on in a few minutes, help that water to be hot. When I walk in the kitchen, help there to be bread there. Why? We know we have these things, but we are leaning on God to give us everything we have. This is fervent praying. This is praying that goes from a small little flame in our heart to a blaze in our soul. And we take everything before God in prayer. Now, you don't get there overnight, but you get there by beginning by asking God to give me that desire. Give me that desire to pray. Help me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. And then you get to a point like where David was in Psalm 27, 4. A man after God's own heart where he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And in Psalm 41, verse 1 and 2, we see a fervent David, a man who was on fire for God in his prayer life, where he said, As the heart or deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David said, I just can't get enough of my God. The necessities of prayer, faith and trust. Desire and fervency. What other tool in the prayer tool bag do we need to be men and women of prayer? Notice the next one is importunity. Importunity. Uh, uh, when you hear the word importunity, what verse comes to mind? Maybe it's First Thessalonians five seventeen. Three simple words: pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. While we should pray without ceasing, there is so much more to importunity. Than just this. Now, this is a word outside of church you're not going to hear anymore. No one uses the word importunity in their day to day speech, a few, if any, use. And so, what does that word mean? And I would encourage you to write these four words down. I think these four words sum up importunity quite well. Here they are intensity, perseverance, patience, and persistence. Let me say those again intensity, perseverance, patience, and persistence. Take a moment, let your heart meditate on those four words combined together into one uh, 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 theological casserole. Intensity, perseverance, patience, and persistence. In the book of Luke, we find two instance, instances of importunate praying. Take your Bibles over to Luke chapter number 18. You're in the book of Mark, one book to the right, you find the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18, and look at verse number 1. Luke 18, find your way over to verse number 1. The Bible says, I'll begin reading for sake of time, we're going to read down through verse 6. It says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Why did this lady get justice? Was it because the judge was honorable? No. The Bible says he was not a good judge. He was corrupt. And this woman, who no one, uh, who this judge did not care about in the least, he kept coming to her. And listen, he waited for, she waited for him outside of the courtroom. And then she waited for him as he came out of his house in the morning. She was standing there when he came out of the grocery store. Everywhere he went, she was standing there saying, Avenge me of the unjust deed done to me. Avenge me. Avenge me. Avenge me. And finally this man said, This lady won't leave me alone. And so he gave her what she wanted because she was importunate in her requesting. She did not want to stop. And listen, we don't uh, come to God who is unjust. We come to a God who is just in every way. And when we pray, when we're persistent, when we're intense, when we're patient, when we're persistent, guess what? God gives us those very things we pray for. Look at Luke 11 and look at verse number 5. Luke Chapter number 11, and look at verse number 5. And the Bible says, And he saith unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, 
Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall Fine, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Again, this man did not get the bread he so desired because of his friendship or his acquaintance. He got the bread because he persisted. He kept knocking. I need bread. I've got people who've come in, dropped in on me unexpected, and I've got no food to put before them. I need some bread. And the guy in bed says, hey, man, I'm in bed with my kids. I'm already in bed. Leave me alone. Go away. I can't go away. I need that bread. Please get out of bed and give me that bread. I said, no, I can't get out of bed. My kids are with me. Leave me alone. I said, I need that bread. Give me that bread. Finally, the man says, that dude's not going to stop knocking until I give him that bread. He gets out of bed and he goes and gets the bread. He opens the door. He shoves it in his hand. He slams the door. He locks, he locks, he locks, he locks. And then he turns around and he gets in bed and says, now leave me alone. You know what? That guy got his bread. Not because of his friendship, but because he wouldn't quit asking. You all listening this morning? Two words for you. Instantaneous gratification. We are so used to getting what we want right now. And if we don't, we'll spend money to rectify the problem. Oh, my phone's a year old, and I think Apple slowed it down. I'm going to go buy a new $1,000 cell phone, even though I bought one last year for... A thousand dollars. And oh man, I, I'm not going to that McDonald's anymore. They took four minutes to get me my Big Mac instead of two. That Dunkin' Donuts, I, I mean, they don't make my coffee right. I'm going to another Dunkin' Donuts. And we are so spoiled, aren't we? We are spoiled rotten. I mean, rotten. We are rotten. Sometimes God hears you and He somewhat ignores you. And you know what? We are so quick to give up in our prayer lives. We'll bow our head and we'll ask God for something once, maybe twice. Maybe we'll pray on it for a week or a month. And then we give up and walk away. And God says, listen, I'm trying to teach you perseverance. I'm trying to teach you persistence. I'm trying to teach you what it means to pray with intensity for something over a long period of time. Listen, and I encourage you to write this quote down. This is so key. In fact, I want to make sure I read it word for word so I get it just right here. Uh, Write this quote down. The process of getting things from God is more important than what we get from Him. The process of getting things from God is more important than what we get from Him. Sometimes God's not going to give it to you until you've prayed on it for months and months and even years and years. I think of Miss Joan Syrett who prayed for 50 years for her husband to get saved. And before he died, he got down on his knees and he put his faith in Jesus to save him. I think of Miss Polly Moisick who prayed for 50 years for her husband to get saved and wondered if God was hearing her prayers. And she stayed at it and stayed at it and stayed at it at it and he bowed his head and put his faith in Jesus to save him. Sometimes God does not want you to pray for something once or twice or three times. He wants you to labor in prayer and be uh, an importunate prayer. Be a man or a woman of importunity, intensity, perseverance, patience, and persistence. The Bible says there in our passage we just read that there are three levels of praying. There's asking, there's seeking, and there's knocking. You ask and you don't get right away what you want. Then seek and and go a little deeper in that prayer time. And and then you seek and you don't find it right away. You knock and you keep knocking and you keep knocking and you keep knocking and you keep knocking. And the Bible says if you keep asking, you're going to get what you're asking for. You seek, you're going to find it. You knock and the door will be open unto you. Faith and importunity are closely connected. But importunity drives the prayer that we pray to the believing point. A persistent spirit brings a man to the place where faith takes hold, claims, and then appropriates the blessing. You remember the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15? 
that came to, uh, to have her daughter healed, she requested with intensity on her knees. She requested with perseverance. She said in Matthew fifteen twenty seven, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She requested with patience. She waited to even be able to see the Lord. She requested with persistence. Her importunity drove her faith, and God rewarded her faith. Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You see, we don't pray because we're not persistent. We're not intense. We're not um, uh, patient with God through prayer. And, and, and we don't persevere. Uh, we're not importunistic in our praying. If we're going to be people, uh, men and women of prayer, we need faith and trust in the tool bag. We need desire and fervency in the tool bag. We need importunity in the tool bag. Let me give you one more this morning. We need obedience to God and His Word. Obedience to God and His Word. There's that pesky word, obedience again. Boy, we just keep coming back around to that thought this year. Here we find yet another key tool in the tool bag of prayer, and that is obedience. Turn over to John 14 in your Bibles. John 14 and verse number 15. John 14, and look at verse number 15 with me. We're going to look at several verses around this area, John 14 and 15. And so hang there with me. John 14, verse 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Let's read those three words together. Ready? Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Look down at verse 21. Look down at verse 21. He that hath my commandments, the next three words, ready, and keepeth them, together, and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. We cannot expect God to answer our prayers while we are living in opposition to his commandments. You get on your knees and pray with faith, trust, desire, fervency and importunity and then God says to you I want to bless you but you are not obeying me you need to stop doing this first or you need to start doing this first but we refuse to comply God is not waiting on you to be perfect but he is waiting on you to make an effort he's waiting on you to simply obey him Let me ask you a question this morning. Would God give us a command that he thinks we can't keep? Is God unreasonable enough to tell us to do something that he thinks we can't do? I don't think he is. So if God says to obey his commandments, don't you think that it's possible to obey his commandments? Now, none of us are going to be perfect at it all the time, and And the book of 1 John tells us that when we don't walk in the light, we're to get on our knees and confess it and get it right. But boy, the effort sure should be there. Many people come to God in prayer only when they have some dire emergency in their life. And I compare that to treating God as though he is 911. 911. Right? Oh, I've got this major problem, Lord, help me. But then when everything's under our control, we don't pray. And God looks at you and says, well, we've got a couple, hold, oh, hold up, we've got two problems here. Number one, you only seem to call on me when you're in a bad spot. And number two, you're not really modeling the way a Christian ought to live. Why should I come to your aid again? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You're too in love with your sin, but now that your life is a mess... You want to come to me for help. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Hey, by the way, by the way, you listening? You can't keep his commandments if you don't read your Bible. You can't keep the commandments if you don't read your Bible. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How are you supposed to know what the rules are if you never open the rule book and read it? God did not give us these rules to make our life hard. He gave us these rules to maximize our joy. 
Here we are walking in sin, and then we get on our knees, and God says, I'm sorry, I can't give you what you're asking for, because you refuse to obey me. Now, I, I just want to appeal to all the parents in the room today. Now, all the parents in the room, hear what I'm about to say. Your child comes to you and asks you to buy them a brand new car. They just turned 17, they got their driver's license, and they're asking you to buy them a brand new car. And you look at them and they're making uh, bad grades in school. They're getting in trouble by skipping class. They're uh, getting involved with kids who are involved in drugs, and you sense they might be as well, and they don't ever clean their room, and they're not doing any chores around the house. And then they show up at the dinner table for the first time in months, and they look at you and say, Hey, Mom, when I get my license next month, would you buy me a car? I heard some of you laughing. Yeah, that's, I believe that would be the appropriate response, right? <laughs> we got some talking to do here. you got a lot of things we got to fix before I buy you a car, right? And you are not a very smart parent if you buy your child a car under those circumstances. I'm choosing my words carefully, amen? You're not a very smart parent. Can I tell you, that's how a lot of us are with God. We, we go to him and say, oh, Lord, I, I really need this. And God says, well, wait a minute, oh, hold on. Look at who you're spending time with. Look at how you're entertaining yourself on TV and movies. Look at, um, look, look at the behavior you're exhibiting. You never open up my word and let me speak to you. You hardly go to church much, and when you do, you just put in some religious duty. Your heart's not really into it, and, 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 and you only get on your knees and come to me in prayer when you want something. Tell me again why I should give you what you're asking for. My friend, if God's going to answer our prayers... There at least needs to be an attempt at obeying Him. There needs to be an attempt at knowing His Word and walking with Him, locked step, each step of the way. Isaiah 64, verse 7, Isaiah declared, And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself. There's that desire to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us, and has consumed us because of our iniquities. When God looks down on us this morning, does He say the same thing? Maybe our lack of desire to pray comes from a place of disobedience to God. Maybe our lack of faith in God comes from a place of dwelling outside of His presence because we've taken up residence with sin. Listen, I finish out the message this morning with this verse. 1 John 3.22, the Apostle John reminds us, Whatsoever ye ask, we receive of him, look here, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. White Oak Baptist Church, I don't know about you, but I long to be a man of fervent prayer. I long to be a man that has a flame a blaze in my heart that everything is made a matter of prayer. Where my relationship with God and my conversing with God is intense and thick and real. Am I where I want to be? Absolutely not. Are, were you, are you where you want to be? If you're honest with yourself, probably not. What are the necessities of prayer? Well, this isn't by any means a complete list. But I believe it's a good start. Faith and trust. Desire and fervency importunity, and obedience to God and His Word. Are these tools in your tool bag? Are these necessities around you? Maybe God spoke to you this morning and showed you why it is that you don't have much of a prayer life. And maybe this morning you need to get some of these things and put them in your tool bag and ask God to help you to be a man or woman of prayer. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. A walk with God, a heart for God, a heart of prayer, a prayer life. My friend, you won't pray unless you have these necessities about you. How is God speaking to your heart this morning? God wants you to commune with Him. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. Jesus suffered in your place. And through uh, Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, we have eternal life so offered to us. And that new relationship with Christ begins when you believe, but that relationship continues when He communes with you through your Bible reading and you commune with Him through prayer. Are you a man or woman of prayer this morning? Lord, help us. Reveal to us, show us where we fall short. Lord, help us this morning not to just feel guilty over what we haven't been doing, 
but to come up with some sort of an action plan that will enable us and help us to be men and women of prayer. With their heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, whether or not my prayer life is what it ought to be, one thing I know for sure, and that is that I'm a believer in Jesus. I know there was a day I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone to save me. I know if I were to die, I'd spend eternity in heaven, not because of who I am or what I've done or where I've gone to church, but because of who my faith is in, in Jesus Christ. Pastor Lejeune, I've made a decision with Christ, for Christ, in Christ. Pastor Lejeune, here's my hand of testimony. That that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? I am a believer. I've put my faith in Jesus alone to save me. I see many hands. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you've not yet made that decision, let me encourage you to do that before you leave today. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor, I don't know that if I were to die that I would go to heaven. I just don't know. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? Now, I don't want to embarrass you. I, don't want to call you. I won't call you out in any way. But in the privacy of the moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I sure would like to pray for you. Is there one here that would say, I just don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I see one hand. Thank you very much. Is there another? I just don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I see the one hand. If you raised your hand, let me encourage you in just a moment. Uh, to, to, to allow someone to take the Bible and show you how you can get that settled. And I'd be happy to do that. If you're a lady, I'd be happy to have my wife sit with you and show you from the Scriptures or someone you're more familiar with, if that's your preference. Please, please don't leave here today without getting that settled in your heart, knowing you're going to heaven. How many of you here today would say, Pastor, God spoke to me through His Spirit today. My prayer life isn't what it ought to be. God showed me a tool that is lacking, a necessity that is lacking. Pastor, pray for me that I'll add that to my tool bag and God would help me to be a man or woman of prayer. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? God showed me some things that are lacking in my prayer life. Pastor, please pray for me. I see your hands. Lord, today would you help us to make decisions for you in Jesus' name. 